Welcome to Taiwan War episode 28 on Dragon Ball The Magic Begins and Fantasy Mission Force. And Taiwan filmmakers bring to life or life, if you will, the manga and anime sensation Dragon Ball, although they reportedly weren't fully allowed to bring it to life. But uh, nonetheless, they did. The law didn't come down on them. Uh, any No trademarks or copyrights uh, infringements uh, were apparently um, in play. So they took something Japanese and skills of their own and made Dragon Ball The Magic Begins, uh, the live adaptation of this this uh, property. And it's also known as New 7 Dragon Ball. Also, in this episode, Fantasy Mission Force, described as many as certifiably bonkers, and described by many as the worst Jackie Chan movie ever. So, will Chu Yanping's uh, director, Chu Yanping's Dirty Dozen-style adventure with Mahjong playing Hopping Vampires play well in 2018? Well, let's find out. I'm Kenny B, and with me is my friend and co-host, and also author of the new novel, So Good, It's Bad, and that is none other than the multimedia man, Todd Stathman. Say hello, buddy. What up, people? And those of us, by, by the way, still reading your prior novel, uh, please don't be waiting for me. Is uh, the new one straight sequel, or is it thematically connected and set in the same places and so forth? The new one is actually a direct sequel to um, Please Don't Be Waiting For Me. So it takes up with all of the characters um, who are still alive at the end of that novel. And for the sake of not spoiling anything, I'm not going to say who that is. Only know that one died so forth. <laughs> so far. Well, yeah, <laughs> right. that's kind of the, the whole purpose of the first novel. I understood that. And I think people who like the first one will like this one. This one's a little more hardcore. So, um, little, I don't know, a little edgier than the first one. Things but get I dicey. Things get dicey in a different way. I think I think people are going to like it, though. I think it's pretty good. So, uh, <laughs> where, of course, of course, you're going to say that. Pr- probably so, man. I mean, you you uh, you threw yourself into it uh, out of the blue. For those of you of us, rather, that follow your creative endeavors, all of a sudden, boom, new book. Like uh, you're the Stephen King of novels. Yeah, new book out of the typewriter. <laughs> the Stephen King of novels, like the Herbie Hancock of jazz. Um, in, in in terms of producing quickly, uh, not length necessarily. Yeah, I mean, initially I had told myself if this first book did really well, I'd do a sequel. But it, you know, I wanted to do a sequel from the start. I really like these characters. The people who I've talked to who've read the book really like the characters and want to see more of them. So that was enough reason for me to do it, to revisit it. And um, I'll tell you another secret. I've actually finished the third novel in this series, and then it'll be done. It'll be a trilogy. I can do a box set and, uh, you know, and wipe my hands of it. But uh, I, I think by the end of it, I'll take characters on quite a journey you know and you'll see some changes take place i guess that makes sense that when you have when you're in the middle of it you can see an end and when you sense that well it doesn't need to be condensed into one novel form the end so to say so let's let's make it free. right i mean uh, I'm, I'm sure that makes sense rather than when you're at the top of it at start of it yeah. you you don't know where where the end game is if there is an end game i suppose so uh, that's cool I mean, it's not a continuation of the plot from the second, from the first one. It's just a, a new, a new adventure, I guess, a new story involving the same characters. 
So where um, where can people get this uh, when it's out and all that? Last time you made a dedicated uh, website for the book uh, for promotional sake, but uh, there is a dedicated too. It's called So Good It's Bad One Word dot net, and you can check. You can read a sample chapter. You can get more information on the book. There's a gallery of pertinent photos. There's even a theme song uh, for this one. So, because uh, it involves the a ba- the band that the characters have. So there's a there's a theme song. I think I'm going to put another song up there in the next few days. And yeah, and there's a lot of pertinent links. So yeah, if you want to learn more about the book, go to so good it's bad dot net. And at this point, I think you announced June, but um, and but, uh, regardless if it's June or July, uh, this episode is going to be out, um, and the book was is going to be out by the time you listen to this uh, anyway. But uh, most yeah. likely, but but uh, you're you're aiming for a summer read for those of uh, us that are keen. If it is out, you'll be able to get it at Amazon. Uh, there will be a you know the website I just mentioned. There will be a buy link, and that'll take you to probably Amazon. If they give me a separate page to sell it on, I'll do that. But uh, you know, I'm I'm self self publishing this through Amazon, which is something I'd recommend to other people. You know, other authors who just want to get their stuff out and into the hands of the people who want to read it. Uh, but you know, I'm having I've been having a little few technical difficulties with it. So it's I I would have liked for it to be out now. But it's probably going to be another couple weeks, two or three weeks. Well, well, you know, Stephen Fry is quite busy with uh, reading other audio books, so I guess that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What a score! Uh, but uh, I, I always like that you are creatively busy. So I'm happy that you are. But uh, you, uh, you have some other stuff to plug as well uh, that you do, uh, regardless of book endeavors. So the floor is yours. So what else do you want to plug? Uh, the only thing, other thing I want to plug is my new podcast, which is called Friday's Best Pop Song Ever. And if you read my blog, you know that I do have a feature called Friday's Best Pop Song Ever. And this is a spinoff of that, but in podcast form. So each month I take one song that I think is particularly great. And I just do a lot of background, give a lot of background, a lot of context, a little analysis a little personal history. It's a very short podcast, which I'm proud of because too many podcasts these days just go on forever. And it's like, just because you still have breath in your body doesn't <laughs> mean you need to keep talking. So, <laughs> that's, <yeah. laughs> awesome. that's the right to talking about getting zingers in <laughs> into the community. <laughs> I mean, the episodes, so, there's seven episodes so far. They run from eight to 18 minutes long. So it's a pretty brief one. So uh, if you want to check it out, go to Stitcher. It's on Stitcher and search for Friday's Best Pop Song Ever and you will find it. Last episode was about, uh, you know, there's it's been a pretty wide range of stuff. The most recent episode was about I Think We're Alone Now by Tommy James and the Shondells and all the millions and millions of cover versions of it that have been done. I also did one on uh, the Pogues, another one on Christy McCall. So, um, and one on um, one on Sailor's song, a "Glass of Champagne." Yes, a glass of champagne. Yes, 
Do you know that song? Was well, that well I know it just because Hey Hello did a cover of it um, on their. their oh, that's uh, right. They they, yeah. they injected some naughty lyrics about doing coke as well, but uh, otherwise it was uh, sort of a, a straight cover up uh, cover. Yeah, I would be disappointed if they didn't make it a little more <laughs> raunchy. Like instead of a glass of champagne, there's a line of cocaine. <laughs> but still, it was a it was a good cover. Uh, they had um, uh, two female singers uh, doing that. Oh, good. So. Uh, cool, my friend. Well, uh, all the relevant links uh, towards uh, your creative endeavors will be included in the show post, including to the Thank book you. page and to the Stitcher page for your podcast. And for the rest of the contact information for the network, uh, you can find Taiwan War on our website, podcastonfire.com, along with all our other shows on Hong Kong cinema and Korean cinema, Japanese cinema. We have bonus episodes galore and plenty of podcasts for you to choose from. Hope you find something that you like. If you've supported Taiwan War before, thank you very much for doing so. If this is your first time listening, thank you very much for taking the time, taking the chance, and hope this show offers up some context and fun uh, for you of um, quite unique uh, cinema. Taiwanese cinema sometimes is not at all like Hong Kong cinema, so that's why we do this, because they are sometimes quite distinctively different. For instance, Hong Kong cinema didn't do a Dragon Ball. Taiwanese cinema did. That's what makes (laughs) all matters all the more interesting. But... But we are available on iTunes as well. We are available on Facebook and Twitter. All relevant social media links are at the top of our website or in the show post. So uh, please uh, leave some likes in support, some comments if you have uh, something to say about the show. We would very much appreciate it. And our email address is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. And uh, I think uh, that's it for now. We're going to get into this. But uh, a rundown of uh, what's uh, to be expected in this show, um, I'm going to tell you off now. It's a simple show, but there are some background notes in each section despite. And in the Dragon Ball one, we open with some basic info about the conception and the staying power of the Japanese manga and anime property uh, Dragon Ball. And then we review the film. And after the break... uh, we will jump into the wacky world that is Fantasy Mission Force. The fantasy world. <laughs> fantasy Mission Force, really. Uh, there will be uh, info and background to be talked of even in that section. And uh, that goes as follows. We'll recap the bio on the director, Kevin Chu Yen Ping. Then talk a little of the stories and maybe myths surrounding how the heck Jackie Chan, in the midst of his stardom, stardom ended up in this picture. And then we review said picture. So, that's it. Let's rock and roll. Dragon Ball, the magic begins from 1991. Sometimes when we review these uh, special effects tinted um, wire uh, wire action pictures, Todd, they're usually sort of condensed into that um, mid-80s uh, era. But this one is from 1991, so they still yes. were doing some of this stuff, even if not all their free time. But um, what is the movie in a nutshell, uh, shell, because there's a shell character, uh, about? So, I think in the future we should have a musical background for when I do these synopses. Some random random action music from trailers and things. Like, uh, I, I should probably put in the aliens, uh, the alien score that was used in so many trailers. We'll, we'll use it for this one. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ma- the magic begins, Dragon Ball. A peaceful village is invaded by the forces of the evil Lord Horn, who steal the Dragon Ball, its most precious treasure. Before reducing the village to ash, Horn announces that this is just one of seven Dragon Balls, and that he only needs five more to have a complete set. 
at which time, he intimates, some kind of cataclysmic event will be triggered. He then leads his army on to find the remaining balls. One of the dragon balls happens to be in the possession of young Goku, Shen Shi Shang, and his grandfather, who live in a remote cabin deep in the forest. Here they rigorously practice their magical kung fu style in preparation for the day when an evil usurper comes to claim the dragon ball for his own. That day turns out to be today, as no sooner have we met San Goku and his gramps than they find their cabin besieged by Horn's tanks. When Horn and his freakish minions depart with both the Dragon Ball and Grandpa, Goku takes off in furious pursuit. Goku's quest takes him near and far, and in the process he meets Yata, played by Jeannie Se, a beautiful young girl who is also in possession of a Dragon Ball. Another young girl joins them when they rescue Jen Jen, played by Li Yi Gwen, from Piggy, played by San Ping, a horny half-man half-pig who, once cornered, reveals himself to be a sniveling coward. Goku eventually bonds with Piggy when he, re he reveals to him that he is a direct descendant of the Monkey King. Piggy, in turn, reveals that he is a descendant of the Monkey King's loyal companion, Pigsy. The group is almost complete when they are joined by the young bandit Lok Ping, played by Tung Xuan Cheng, whose frequent clashes with Goku threaten to distract from their task. Finally, they learn that the seventh Dragon Ball is in the hands of a half-man, half-turtle, played by Chung Hu Huang. And, and thus the team is assembled. And uh, I had the uh, sort of character gallery from the anime and manga in front of me just to see uh, how many uh, the Taiwanese movies are sort of ticked off and how many they featured. And the only one that didn't seem to be, but I could be wrong, from the anime or manga was the creation of Pixie or Piggy. You had like 10 of the main characters and I saw no reference to, to Piggy, but there might be an explanation for that. Um, well, there's a ton. If you look at one of those graphics with all the characters, there's like hundreds of them. Well, they've had uh, hundreds of uh, episodes and volumes to uh, craft characters, yes. <laughs> let's just say. And uh, yeah. that's the, that's an understatement. So so some brief background on, on all of this. Uh, as we said, this movie is also known as New 7 Dragon Ball. And it's based on Akira Toriyama's manga Dragon Ball that since its conception in 1984 has spawned a sprawling universe of movies, TV series, uh, merchandising and games and so forth. And even a critically slammed and by all accounts troubled production from 2009 in America called uh, Dragon Ball um, Evolution which uh, starred uh, I, don't, I don't know who, who uh, the the western cast I can't remember them but uh, uh, Hong Kong actor Chai in fact appeared in it and he, he wasn't like a, a a Hawaiian shirt or whatever so it seems to suggest that he was a variation of the half man half turtle but he didn't have a shell on him and acted all uh, lecherous or anything so uh they uh might have just like scrubbed uh, scrubbed that character into something more politically correct i don't know because i have no desire to watch that movie <laughs> well two of the characters in this movie are described explicitly as perverts so and that's pigsy and uh who was the other guy? Well, 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 that would be uh, uh, Roshi, Master Roshi, the half man, half. Uh, oh turtle. yes, the half. Yeah, he's worse. He's worse. Indeed, he is. So they they don't shy away from that. Like, we'll, we'll we'll get to that for but No, not at all. In moving media alone, Dragon Ball has been uh, 
crafted into multiple series and movies, uh, all starting in 1989. And at the time of recording, it has wrapped up another animated series called Dragon Ball Super. And these weren't short-run cyber people, as the initial show ran 153 episodes, uh, you know, h- half an hour chunks, you would, uh, you would imagine. And the latest one I just mentioned uh, ran 131. And they had one sandwiched wow. in between that ran 291 episodes. So uh, okay. it has staying power and popularity. Uh, and uh, because it has staying power and appearances in media there's been merchandise galore and uh, dragon ball has shot to the top uh, of uh, such lists as one of the most profitable and expansive anime-based media franchise franchises mm. of all time uh, as a fan of anime myself and uh, a wide variety of it not just uh, adult themed uh, and uh, you know graphic and violent this never interested me in terms of the looks of this story and uh, but but really one reason that I just can't is because th- th- there's so much of it and uh, I wouldn't right. know where to start and that sort of kills off any motivation and momentum, you know right. what I mean? So do, do do you merely know of it yourself but you never like caught it on TV or whatever? Going into this, I, I don't know jack about Dragon Ball Z, but I will, as I am a, you know, human being on Earth who uses the internet, I'm, I know of it and I know what all the characters look like. It's hard to escape that. As someone who's like um, interested in Japanese pop culture, you know, I'm really into Japanese toys. I love to go into stores and look look at Japanese toys. I feel like, you know, more and more you you look for that stuff, but I'm like, I'm wanting to see the old like Kakaid or Ultraman, but more of what you see is just damn Dragon Ball Z everywhere you look. <laughs> you know those same those same characters. I was I wanted to say I was surprised not no not knowing anything about this that it originated as a manga because the plot seems so much like a setup for a video game. It's like there are seven Dragon Balls you have to collect all of them and then something happens and then. You know, it doesn't sound like it's something that would uh, originate as a as a story. Yeah, you you wonder. I mean, I'm sure at one point, or maybe they rebooted. You know, at some point, all the Dragon Balls are collected, and there's a big cataclysmic event. But because you you, right. you can't. I mean, this is my ignorance talking, but you can't stretch it out for hundreds and hundreds of episodes. You know, the potential second, the search for the second ball for 98 episodes. You know what I mean? Like, like right. you, you need to vary it up. So I wonder how they how wide that story is or if they just yeah. reboot it and uh, into different con uh, like uh, con- um continuities and so forth you know what i mean yeah. like, um because uh, i know anime properties do that you know the space pirate captain harlock franchise that has different continuity sort of strands and paths and what have you so right um, again i'm i'm on i'm on an anime kick always but uh dragon ball and naruto or whatever it never appealed to me it never really yeah much, so yeah i i get it it's like uh you know I, i'm sort of curious but not curious enough to watch any more of this show to figure out what it was and i found it interesting also that they that they tied this into journey to the west i'm, I'm curious about that because um 
when I read that first, and I had that note in my research from ages ago that it uh, to avoid to dance around the issue of uh, because it seems like they have, had not cleared the rights to do Dragon Ball, so they danced around the issue claiming it was loosely based on Journey to the West. But then I read in the Dragon Ball wiki. And I know it's wiki, but still I read it there. That Dragon Ball was mildly based on Journey to the West anyway. Re- regardless, uh, no no lawyers came down on Dragon Ball. The magic begins and it was made uh, with uh, a hugely visible inspiration and adaptation aspect being that of uh, that it directs itself towards Dragon Ball and it has some sprinkles of Journey to the West. Uh, yeah. There was even a... And I'm, 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 sh- I'm willing to bet like a buck that this review is somewhere hidden on your website because there was even a 1990 production made in South Korea, also a live adaptation, also unofficial, called Dragon Ball that was reportedly quite open with that this is the source material, we're not dancing around any issue. And I'm willing to bet a buck that you reviewed that on 4DK at some point. I don't think I did. I would like to, though, if you ever find it. I, I, I think the reason that the Japanese lawyers never came down on them is they were too tired. Because all you have to do is take a walk through Chinatown to see how often these characters have been bootlegged. You know, there's that's one of the most popular things. There's Dragon Ball backpacks, you know, and mugs and water jugs and like every possible thing with these characters on it. Yeah, it, they they it's probably insane. weren't uh, they probably weren't bleeding money at any point, uh, where, no, regardless no. if nineteen ninety one in nineteen ninety one or now. I mean, uh, um, yeah. I when I lo- log on to Crunchyroll to stream my old anime, there's always Dragon Ball listed. So it seems like yeah, right. the the recent series is up there and it's going to be streaming and stuff like that. So I'm sure uh, that is uh, a money making machine, whether physical merch or um, in the digital world in uh, in the form of games or uh, comics or you know it's it's never stopped. And you you have to admire it for that. But uh, if I were to dive into it, I would like to somewhat to pinpoint me towards one of the animated movies that condensed it into one exciting package. You know what I mean? Like to watch this. And if that really gets you going, then watch this. But I would love for somebody to just hit me right away rather than take a chance on a series that takes 100 episodes to get going. Like like I don't have that time. (laughs) Well, this one, in keeping with the title, The Magic Begins, seems to be about the team being assembled. Mm -hmm. Both of these movies, I have to say, they both have that... Both of them are, you know, sort of about that hero on a journey. And as he goes along, he keeps, you know, recruiting allies and, you know, until they have a united force against this, you know, evil that they're hunting. And that's in both these. And that way, I think both these movies kind of are like a cross between The Dirty Dozen and The Wizard of Oz. Yep. That wouldn't be unfair, and uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's uh, like a quote someone should put on a video box from from you. Like uh, if you, if yeah. you would, if you ever would, if you ever dreamt of these two aspects, these movies has it. <laughs> <laughs> so so back to Taiwan. Uh, the magic begins uh, was helmed by director Chen Chun Liang, uh, a fair veteran of Taiwanese uh, fantasy spectacles such as New Pilgrims to the West and Monkey War. I've seen the former. It's a it's a Journey to the West live adaptation. It's got some cool special effects. Uh, have not seen Monkey War. I heard Monkey War is pretty cray cray. I haven't seen it either. And uh, those Journey to the West adaptations always, you know, they don't go from um, 
start to finish is always like an episode no. and if you know then they're never really hard to follow despite not being familiar with the source material extensively so they're always good fun and uh, Chen also directed the 3D Army as well as being listed as the co-director of the Chalo Peach but I can't confirm whether or not that is true because um, yeah that that's they have that in the IMDB not that the IMDB is the you know be all and end all source for this kind of information but we have our other director of the Chalo Peach and uh, a variety of other ones uh, of that kind as uh, main director mostly I, I don't have the, uh, the gent's name now but uh, but uh, regardless uh, that's the background let's do some brief opinions of dragon ball the magic begins and i want to do mine first because my, mine is a little bit of a, a little piece of radio theater if you will <laughs> oh, sure <laughs> because w- when the movie is all like it's quite okay and i like it when it's that when it stops to be all oh i'm so horny i'm so itchy all over <laughs> then it's tiring because the characters yeah. by that point, Todd, have stopped. They're not on a journey. They have stopped at that point. But then it ends on the same note as the beginning, plus some cool showcase of the powers these uh, characters possess that we didn't see at yeah. the beginning. So in the end, I was satisfied. So I, I, I like the um, the uh, the sort of um, uh, oral and visual assault, if you will. That that made me uh, that made me feel very um, comfortable. Yeah, I wasn't dissatisfied by it. I mean, there are a lot of special effects in this movie, and some of them are pretty good. I mean, I think especially the wire work was actually pretty well done. There's some nice scenes of the of Goku, you know, when the, the girl is, like, following in a jeep and he's flying ahead. Uh, I thought that was very well done. Some of the effects, I mean, especially given this was 1991, are not that great. You know, it's kind of it's hit or miss. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it's a plenty entertaining film. I think I watched it after fan- watching Fantasy Mission Force, which I found myself having a a newfound appreciation for. So following up on that, it's not as antic and fun as Fantasy Mission Force, but uh, it, it's okay. You know, I think it felt it was very slick, and I felt like it. It was kind of a commercial because of these characters mm-hmm. and because the nature of the whole Dragon Ball phenomenon. I felt like I was watching a feature-length commercial. I think a lot of people would, if they uh, if they compared Evolution to this, I think a lot of people would say that this one got the tone more right than Dragon Ball Evolution got. But uh, I, I still, uh, but I don't know how the hardcore fan base of the anime and manga how they view Dragon Ball the Magic Begins but it, but it certainly is uh, it's 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 alive and uh, if you're in deep with the Taiwanese special effects creativity like we are there are sparks here that you look for and that you admire based on what mm-hmm. Taiwanese cinema can do even though they're working yeah. off uh, Japanese properties here a, a little sidetrack by the way this movie came out again in 2007 in what they dubbed the ultimate edition that uh, not only remastered the picture but they actually replaced a lot of the old time special effects with uh, new CGI special effects so you know the opening attack with all the ships and what have you that is uh, redone with sort of PlayStation 2 era graphics it kind of looks okay <laughs> yeah. but it's too slick for the 1991 movie um, right. so they didn't remaster the old movie and uh, which is you know they, they replaced more than 
competent effects i i would say uh they uh it's a weird pick to do an ultimate edition in like uh, in 2007 in uh, like a they did a george lucas on it right shaped it into a man that it was supposed to be uh, in terms of a movie but um (laughs) that that version is on youtube if you want to scan through it to see how how all that works but i i I think yes some of the uh, special effects are less successful but like like, uh, the the ships attacking some of it looks like uh specks of flies on the screen but uh yes when they have like one ship on screen like coming in that that's obviously a superimposed thing that looks okay like that gets the yeah, illusion they used an actual model yes it looks yeah because from a distance it looks like they just put little scratches on the film to represent the ships and the climax of the film is pretty awesome actually i i won't spoil it but there is a pretty cool effect that happens towards the end. Well, a lot of the the theme here, if if we still talk special effects, is that Taiwanese filmmakers were still mixing and matching basic physical effects with superimposed ones. If you talk about how uh, people, you know, when they perform and execute the power, and that the result of that is that you see you know, little uh, bursts of explosions in the sand going off to represent that ball of of lightning or laser traveling. And then they have a superimposed eff- effect on top of that or that accompanies that. That stuff still does it for me, man, regardless if it's for, for the beginning or the end here. But so I I, I thought overall they, uh, they only stumbled in a couple of places where they became too ambitious. But... Uh, who if they don't try it and they realize uh, their potential then um, then they won't know and i think they realize what where their potential uh, was and some, some of it didn't work for because a lot of this stuff you talk about the wire work it's uh, it's not new for taiwan it's not new for hong kong so i i think it, it wasn't unfamiliar what they were doing here right there is a lot of work you know compared to other movies where it's I don't know, it's a very, an occasional little wow effect. There was a lot. I felt like there was a lot. I felt like for that, especially, it was, it was, it was good. Um, I didn't have high expectations for this movie. That's probably pretty clear. I didn't demand a lot of this movie, so it delivered, you know, as far as I was concerned. I thought the actors were all, were all charming and personable. And I thought it was well-directed. It was very stuck. Yeah, and 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 that's I think that they were aiming for that, and um, yeah, it, it really gets going quick and never stops until they literally stop. So you so you got these uh, when characters launch into the flying, you know, and the wireworks are frenetically gets off the ground, so to say. It's it, it is quite accomplished. I like the like almost extensive shots of flying. Those have a chance when you combine obviously human and tech crew that has wired up the human those extensive shots have a chance to look all limp right if you stay on them too much but yeah they have some you know flying shots and traveling shots that look really accomplished and and i also like the um scene with goku and his grandpa teacher in uh, when they train in the forest and you got various flying shots and various special effects there and it shows that this director and his uh, action team they they were ready to make something sort of frenetic and frantic but it never dived into that sort of 
incoherency that comes with cutting too quickly and having brief shots you know what i mean like there's very extensive yes. sort of shots that linger on this to get the full flying effect through and also get the full cartoon effect through because the the comedy that results in some of this uh, uh, as uh, characters uh, foolishly uh, crashes through a window or things like that they treat that as a cartoon because this was based on one, partly. <laughs> so, and I'll say that watching this movie after Fantasy Mission Fools, it came off as very coherent. You know, everything seemed clear, and the, and the editing in the version I saw was clean, so it didn't seem like there were a lot of choppy edits and stuff like that. But but, but do you think um, it's you know uh, up until we meet Master Roshi and uh, the whole island section that includes a lot of uh, sexual humor? Uh, yeah. Do you think uh, the movie is uh, always on the go, so to say, mixing uh, light stuff, uh, action stuff, special effects, and uh, do you think there's a lull throughout the movie, or you thought it was even even tempered, so to say, with in terms of pace? I get, I found yeah I found the stuff with you know all the jokes about the Roshi's horniness a little tiresome, you know, and that they also, they cut woman, uh, what's her name, Yata? Yata, played by Jeannie. Am I saying her name right? I know my pronunciation is terrible. Jeannie Sie. She becomes sort of the butt of those jokes, and it's all about her, you know, she's been this competent, strong woman throughout the whole movie, and all of a sudden, the whole plot turns on whether she'll show this guy her tits you know and i found that really <laughs> sort of depressing yeah it, it it's not because we're sort of pc it's just because it goes on and on and on and it's never really other it's just it's just one I'm joke PC. you know i don't mind being called PC. Well, well well it's still the point that it's not that we i don't think we would have reacted as harshly if all of this took place in one minute but it's like 10, 15 sure. minutes of him being lecherous. That's my problem. It yeah. goes on and on and on. I, I do like, by the way, that this is pretty much a physical world. Uh, we talk about special effects, but they sure have some production value here. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that locations look um, like they were partly shot in Thailand and they have uh, tanks uh, roaming the landscape. So who knows if this was... Uh... I did want to mention one, because there's a scene where there in a ruin a, te- a ruin of an old temple which is obviously a real location I believe that is in Indonesia I've seen that in, in Indonesian movies. I may be wrong but that was a thought I had I didn't have any indication of where the film was shot it didn't look standard Taiwanese locations or anything like that. So no. it, it it seems like the crew were definitely abroad, so to say. And uh, having the tanks and all of that and a lot of machine gun fire and some decent costumes ma- makes this world uh, quite physical uh, and a mix of human and supernatural. And that's certainly a, a plus, uh, sort of a pro for the movie that it, it doesn't feel sure. totally manufactured uh, or, or anything. And... Uh, even when they introduce, uh, you know, uh, uh, Piggy or Pixie, as uh, he's referred to in Journey to the West. Uh, yes, the humor isn't um, inspired or anything because it's a it's <laughs> it's an obese actor and he's in full blackface at one point, the body paint. Oh, so he's, he, but what what I'm sort of loosely getting at is that is probably their like really big. Uh, journey to the west the the journey to the west alarm goes off in a big bad way when he meets uh, pixie mm. because again i couldn't find any similar character from dragon ball listed right uh, as such 
the turtle man reminded me of the turtles in uh what was that movie uh fin finishing bang we reviewed it a while back and there was a a character who was like the the king of the ocean or something and oh, there were these man yeah, yeah, yeah. turtle costumes you remember that one i do remember and i i wanted to say also about both these movies both these movies um uh rely heavily on gun action as opposed to fighting I mean, Fantasy Mission Force 2, which has an incredible array of martial arts stars in it. Um, but still, there's even Jackie Chan's big moment in that is like he's like wielding a machine gun and, ah, you know, doing that. So if you're coming, these are not movies to come to if you want to see like some really awesome fight scenes, you know, despite the people who are in them. Yeah, the, clo- the closest uh, sort of extensive one we get here is between uh, uh, Goku and the character of uh, Lok Ping because they are adversaries at one point. They hate each other. I mean, he- his intro is uh, is him looking like Clint Eastwood, so he's the kid with no name uh, before right, exactly. before he's revealed. <laughs> and like, I-, I don't know if he's smoking necessarily or if he, or if he only had something in his mouth, but uh, they they he has the poncho on though. exactly. And 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 those two kids go at it uh, not just on the wires but exchange some weapons choreography so uh so yes. uh, so so the young ones are, are sort of the martial arts stars uh, if you will here yeah uh, and and goku apparently uh, the actor was uh, part of the kid troupe in hello dracula and I, I i can sort of see his face uh. in hello dracula so um so what else well as we said the uh, the the antics of uh, master roshi gets uneven pretty quickly i mean it might be a very correct depiction and adaptation of the hermit slash pervert as the dragon ball wiki <laughs> describes uh-huh. him so it might be very correct but it doesn't mean that it's uh lecherous humor is uh is gold or anything i mean if anything when it all all that nonsense of uh, pixie turning into uh, the female character to uh, to fool roshi into giving him his dragon ball or whatever when all of that is finally over and the ships come in again and the machine gun fire come in again is this the movie because i confuse elements about these movies is this the movie where he turns into anita mui Yes, uh, well, well, Pixie does because uh, Pixie has the yeah. abilities to uh, change into anyone, and indeed, he turns into an Anita Moy uh, lookalike, uh, which which makes this a very like local Taiwanese slash. It can play with Hong Kong audiences too. He turns into a series of currently popular female in, in succession. The only one I knew was Anita Mui because she's in films too. Yep, so. indeed. So they had a look like there. So I and I, I I'm not complaining because uh, that's a recognition factor that uh, that's uh, is all fun. But uh, it, it, it is when that final stretch kicks off uh, when when Roshi's antics are aborted for another attack on the island and a big 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 piece of pyrotechnics on that island gets set up and. Then the movie starts to rebound again, and it's sort of non-stop action that was the action we saw in the opening, Todd. But they also start to add the fact that the lecherous Roshi actually have some powers too. And his powers look kind of badass on screen, in, in my opinion. There's the always irresistible notion of throwing the energy balls around, but they have ground pyrotechnics set off as well. And all that, that, that timing... 
between uh, you know the, the effects they do on set versus the effects they do in post. That stuff never gets old for me when it's like boom, boom, you know. Both these films have a lot of that. Yeah, and then in this they also have a magic cloud, which is actually just kind of a cartoon that floats around and helps them somehow. I wrote in my notes because he sort of yells at that cloud. Well, there's the Simpsons meme in 1991. Old man, <laughs> old man yells at cloud. <laughs> there, there, there's enough variation by the time we reach the action climax. We, we finally get some powers on display. And uh, they don't have a lot of variation in terms of the costumes of the bad guys and what the weapons no. are. But thankfully, it starts to vary up matters. And I think that, that makes it a very satisfying ending. And... And they, they also go from the island blowing up immediately to the ending. I don't know if you noticed that, that there was no travel footage uh, between the island blowing up or the house on the island to the actual ending. It's almost like yeah, it was five minutes. We can probably lift, and they did. But it, it just kicks <laughs> it. You know, the ending sort of just starts happening. And I, I appreciated that because the movie needed to find momentum again. I agree with your analyses. The, the costume, by the way, the devil horn, uh, the actor in the devil horn costume, is that good, bad, fun because of the movie it is to see the actor in this um, in this sort of, um, I don't know if that's the Wizard of Oz sort of type of costume or whatever. Do you find that, uh, find that fun or would you, like, would you like it to have been better than what we got? <laughs> I, I guess I would have liked the movie to be a little more cartoony. I think it would have been fun if it was more stylized. I mean, I think having all the characters wear the same clothes throughout is in keeping with that aesthetic. But it would have been, I think it would have been fun if they, you know, if I, I love it when, when Asian movies successfully try and duplicate the feel of manja or old animation like Cutie Honey. I love that movie. So I would love it if they did something like that, where they really tried to make the characters look like the character in the cartoon. I mean, that might have been stupid, but, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping for something more like that. with And with really saturated colors. I love that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, it's sort of straight as shot and uh, as, as good as the costumes are. It's, as we said, it's sort of limited and they don't, do a lot of variation in terms of special effects. So they they got they 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 got like uh, conceptually a lot of things done, but uh, maybe um, you know a high budget version of this would have been able to add even more high flying antics with devil horn or longhorn or whatever. And, uh, but the, the the costume is sort of like nice and detailed, and the actor is yeah. obviously going for I want all seven Dragon Balls. But <laughs> but but he's walking he's walking like he's got a dump in his pants though. He does indeed. I do want to say about that costume. It did remind me of Power Rangers a little bit. In fact, there were moments throughout the movie when I was reminded of Power Rangers, just everybody just kind of jumping around and explosions and the, you know, the guy in the, the kaiju suit villain just kind of bouncing around going, ah, it's mine, give me, get me the, you know, the Dragon Ball, ha, 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 you know. But, you know, it's a kid's movie, so, you know. We, with lecherous humor. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of a trademark of Taiwanese cinema. Yeah, so certainly. Yeah. It, it is Taiwanese cinema, and it's made in, in the vein of that they know their action cinema. So, so thankfully, the action beats, as I've said before, they're very competent because it's familiar to them, so they get the timing yeah. right 
a lot of times throughout and that's what sort of gets me giddy sometimes when 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 you see these uh, powers depicted it's not sluggish it's sort of to the point and boom and you're like great and that that person shot another person and that person blew up and all of that <laughs> sort, of, sort of awesome and uh but again did this make me uh motivated to like yeah this energy is something else let's watch dragon ball the anime no no i'm not motivated to go into the anime <laughs> I, I mean there was enough violence to keep me interested in this but yeah i did not leave this one it's like i want to I want to delve into this mythology further. It's like, who are these characters? I, it, I didn't even get a sense that there was much more to it than that. Yeah. So, Which makes me still curious what, how epic and how they stretch the story hundreds yeah. of, of hundreds and, in hundreds and hundreds of episodes. But but again, it yes. might be a ton more story beyond Dragon Balls be, be, because of the width of, um, yeah. I would hope so. 400 episodes in and they they lost the second Dragon Ball. <laughs> right. I'd imagine, I might be wrong, but I'd imagine that, you know, I don't actually remember what happened to Lord Horn. I think he gets away, but, you know, I'd imagine he survives throughout the series, you know, to be the main bad guy. But I might be you know well, um... well well they sort of dispose with him here i won't spoil it though because um this movie i think sort of positioned itself as well we're not gonna do multiple parts and we gotta put everything on screen that what happens when the dragon balls are combined we we simply right oh that right. we need that. to show it because who knows if we're gonna get another shot at this and and does they did so um so so i appreciated that that it wasn't uh, open-ended and teased us with uh, stuff that we never got to see Right. I hope no uh, hardcore Dragon Ball fans are listening to this episode. They will probably get hate mail. They're probably just seething with resentment at all of our misstatements about it. Well, well, we're open to the fact that we, we don't know all, all of the aspects of it. So we're, we're open to being informed. That's what I'm hoping to. We are ignorant. It's our ignorance speaking. And hopefully your, uh, your forgiveness listening. <laughs> but I'm out of notes uh, other than saying I, I was uh, when I first saw it I was uh, fairly satisfied and I still am fairly sat- satisfied it's a, it's a good uh, time when it's going good and the middle section yeah. uh, you can forget about because uh, we get some good times after the middle section I agree uh, as for availability uh, the cropped and English dubbed Taiseng DVD now goes for quite high prices online of uh, Dragon Ball The Magic Begins and uh, it's the same in terms of prices for what's touted as the ultimate edition as i mentioned that has remastered picture with new special effects um in my opinion they don't look very new and improved they merely look newer but that doesn't make sense for 1990 to combine with a 1991 movie so um it looks uh, it looks a little too um to uh, even more fake than than it did uh, in 1991 uh, it seemed very wrong-headed uh, for some reason but if you want to see that you have to pay pay out your butt for it so uh, what we watched was this uh, a custom version of the spanish dvd that seems quite elusive but what that had was the original version a letterboxed image the original one had also english audio options uh, in addition to spanish and Chinese, I believe, but no English subtitles. But someone on the internet added English subtitles to it, so we had the option to watch it 
uh, with English subtitles and uh, therefore we got a confirmation that oh yeah they're totally naming it uh, the characters Goku and uh, Roshi and you can hear on the Mandarin soundtrack anyway that I watched that they say it's clearly Goku rather than some variation of of it to avoid copyright. I actually ended up watching because the file I had got glitchy after about an hour. So I watched the the last half hour or so on YouTube, and it was a dub version. So I got the best of both worlds. I got to hear the the stupid dub dub voices that yeah, they put on it. So itchy all over. <laughs> I'm so itchy. Just take off your shirt. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Mister. There would be no other way to dub Master Roshi other than somewhat high pitched, uh, and uh, they do they do it in Mandarin the same way. So. Um, yeah. Uh, exactly. If anything, the actor corresponded to what was required out of uh, that uh, performance and that uh, character, I suppose. Uh, no subtlety whatsoever, so just go for it. None. None. Uh, speaking of subtlety, after the break we're going to talk about a movie that uh, might wear its influences uh, on its sleeve. And it's also um, just, uh, its desire is just to put every idea on screen, I suppose, um, and uh, <laughs> in wild fashion. So there's no subtlety either in Fantasy Mission Force from director Chu Yenping. And after the break we're going to talk of this uh, either legendary movie just because it isn't liked or in some viewers eyes it's legendary because they do like it um, but um, I know that when you bring up Fantasy Mission Force there's a fair amount of groans going on there online <laughs> uh, and it's mostly directed to, to the fact that what is this Jackie Chan movie like, I've yeah I did this on one of my movie nights I used to do those tweet alongs to movies and I did Fantasy Mission Force and I had such a hard time getting people to partake in it and it ended up being really fun I Everybody really enjoyed it, but because of this movie's reputation, like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. So anyway, yes, I'm looking forward to talking about this. Well, we'll take a musical break and listen to uh, the wonderful theme song from Fantasy Mission yeah. Force, the upbeat. Ow, uh... ow, ow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, I was hoping you'd do that. If you watch uh, certain comedies from this time in Taiwan, they always had a cheery uh, uh, a cheery theme song. There's a cheery theme yes. song to the movie Spooky Cookies. There's a cheery theme song to the war comedy Can't Stop the War. Uh, mm. and, and that would be spooky cookies indeed and not spooky cookies <laughs> which would have, been, would have been fun too but uh, it's uh, it was almost a trademark that uh, we're making a light movie compose a light song everybody will walk away happy right. and thus we did yeah so uh, sit tight for 30 seconds or so listen to the music and we'll be back after it <laughs> And welcome back in the second movie of this episode is the often talked of uh, good or bad fantasy mission force from 1983 from director Chu Yinping also often talked of in a good or bad light depending on the viewer you are we've covered his movies such as requital and hunting list when he was riffing on state of grace and true romance but back in the early 80s he was riffing on well 
maybe mostly with Dirty Dozen, but in his own uh, <laughs> warped way. But uh, this movie uh, has a plot. Todd has written together a little, uh, a little uh, fair plot of this um, exciting uh, epic adventure with uh, mutual seriousness across the board. So uh, what is uh, Fantasy Mission Force about? Well, let me say that this is a highly qualified synopsis given the nature of Fantasy Mission Force, as you'll come to understand. It is World War II, I think. Four generals of various nations, one of whom self-identifies as General Abraham Lincoln are arguing strategy when I don't know if I can get that through this with a straight face are arguing strategy when they are ambushed by Japanese soldiers and taken captive. The military brass of whatever country this movie is supposed to take place in, finding that James Bond, Snake Plissken, and Rocky are otherwise engaged engaged, de- determine that Captain Don Wen, played by Jimmy Wang Yu, is the ideal man to front a rescue mission. Just like in The Dirty Dozen, Wen wastes no time in assembling a team of rogue fighters to join him. Sun, played by Sun Yu, is a hobo and master thief. Grease Lightning, played by Frankie Ko, is an escape artist. Sammy, played by Jackie Chan, is an American exhibition fighter who bills himself as the Chinatown strongman. And Emily, Pearl Chang Ling, is his ferociously loyal manager, Lily. Oh, wait, his ferociously loyal manager, period. Lily, Bridget Lin, is a gunslinger with a score to settle against her ex-bo Billy, David Tao, who is also along for the mission. Hui Bat Lu and Fong Ching are members of the Scottish Guard, and also, I think, gay. After setting aside their many interpersonal squabbles, the gang sets off into the jungles of, again, whatever country this is supposed to be. Here they have a series of random adventures that first includes them being captured by a tribe of Amazons ruled over by Adam Chang. Then they spend the night in a haunted house full of hopping vampires and mahjong playing ghosts. (laughs) Finally, our heroes are cornered by an army of weirdly dressed Germans driving swastika and blazing muscle cars. A battle royal ensues. Like like put everything in a blender and uh, chew chew yam pink cinema is what you get. Yes, I, I think... If I could consider an if I can put forward an alternate title, I would call it Rando Commandos. <laughs> there we are. Well, well, he's had commandos in various titles of his movies of the same sort right. of a kind uh, before, and we, we'll touch upon them ever so slightly. Uh, we mentioned the director, Kevin Chu Yenping, and we've done the bio on him before on our requital and hunting list episode, so it's sort of a recap of what kind of director he was and is. And uh, he's often slammed, sometimes unfairly, in my opinion, but he was at his best, in my opinion, at this point in the Taiwanese film industry. He was at his most inspired, I think, as he was making some wild-ass cinema. He was also a movie fan to the extent that he copied scenes beat by beat uh, for his own movies, but as we established, especially when looking at Requital and Hunting List, he was a filmmaker that could uh, 
tell a story when he needed to tell a story uh, so um we'll uh, I, I have some minor examples in the bio but as for the start of his career he was the screenwriter for the seminal crime movie the first error step in 1980 and as a director he had a string of hit comedies in the early 80s uh, starring comedian shu pu liao who was dubbed the taiwanese chaplain and uh, in between chu uh, begin began indulging the movie fandom of his by creating his own nutty world of audio and visual theft in the form of Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando. A series of army drill movies followed. Um, he co-directed the first Young Dragons Kung Fu Kids movies that would end up being a series of movies because kids equaled in the 80s anyway box office gold in Taiwan. So he also featured kids as leads in the Shaolin Popey movies as well that he directed. First one being quite intolerable, second being more wild Chu Jinping style in combination with the kids humor so if you're gonna watch a shaolin popey movie watch the second one uh, in my opinion i think i have that somewhere i'll have to check it out uh, early 90s uh, for chu and ping marked some more mature and even harrowing work from him and partly this is true for the prison drama that many people have seen uh, called island of fire starring jackie chan sammo hong uh, jimmy wang yu andy lao tony alone kafai so he had a mixed cast from hong kong and taiwan uh, but more notably his war movies a home too far and its sequel end of the road uh, i think showed a craftsman at work yeah, and he cast top talent in it and crafted a compelling frame uh, dramatically they weren't just uh, propaganda pieces or anything they were quite harrowing uh, dramatic movies that um, showed he can switch that on uh, which was cool to see because th- then you had their uh, different voices in a director he went on to helm the gory gangster action requital that featured a shot-by-shot retake of the end shootout from the american movie state of grace Hunting List was his actual remake of State of Grace, but since he used that shootout already, he had to uh, pick another shootout. So at the end of that movie, feature the uh, True Romance Hotel shootout as recreated the Chewie and Pink style. <laughs> as much as you can sort of riff uh, on that movie and sort of uh, riff it, uh, they weren't bad despite the obvious lifting. No, those were both pretty solid films. I remember liking both of them. Major, major squib work in those in those movies. Yes, indeed. It makes Better Tomorrow look like a paintball uh, game. Yeah, very much so. The, these uh, squibs weren't uh, weren't uh, to be messed around with because they came out of the stuntmen and the actors quick, like uh, arrows, almost like pshum, like uh, the the pressure behind those were massive. So uh, the, that's that little uh, visual. Uh, the, the visual originality almost <laughs> that you can uh, <laughs> uh, sort of connect to those movies uh, good fun um, various swordplay movies followed uh, the, the, the movies that um, he made that were the sort of result of the popularity of that uh, decade um, uh, once upon a time in China it, it initiated that type of uh, waifu if you will and Chu uh, Jinping made uh, a wild movie called Flying Dagger which is a comedy but has some of that cool wire enhanced action and uh, quite uh, quite creative so it's not serious at all and he also did a category three rated movie called slave of the sword which is a sword play movie as well he has been continually active in the new millennium but without logging as much favorable work if you go by viewer reactions and critics uh, one of his more widely distributed movies was this movie called kung fu dunk starring uh, expressionless Taiwan superstar Jay Chow. I think it was just before, just after he co-starred in The Green Hornet with um, 
with Seth Rogen. Having said that, Jay, I think, was actually one of the better things in the Green Hornet uh, movie. I agree. Yeah, that was that was a pretty weird movie. And uh, because uh, I I didn't expect him to be that alive after seeing him be so moody and emo in his photo shoots and Jay Chow <laughs> brooding. That's what mm-hmm. I <laughs> I, I don't have a box office figures for Kung Fu Dunk, but I know his movie, The Treasure Hunter, with Jay Chow again, d- didn't succeed in either mainland Hong Kong or Taiwanese market. So Kevin had, had some trouble uh, you know, g- generating box office. And uh, some of his latest credits at the time of recording is a 2012 movie called Perfect 2, which looks like a romantic, possibly great in comedy, uh, judging by characters in the poster. Look up the poster. And his latest movie is apparently still a movie called from 2014 called My Geeky Nerd Buddies, which you certainly know won't be political or harrowing or anything like that. Uh-huh. It seems to follow a comedy pattern, and I haven't heard anything about it. Hello, this is uh, Ken coming in here. Breaking news. I need to stop the show right now because I want to say that Chu Yanping finally has a new movie coming out. And by the time you listen to this, it will be out. It's called Oolong Courtyard. And essentially, it looks like Shaolin Pope 3. As actor Umantat is back, it's got kids, crazy monks, and a pair of thieves probably that walked into the wrong temple to steal gold. And now they're stuck with this craziness. The trailer's got some classic but simple slapstick, often involving the groin area, but the timing is okay in the trailer, so it might survived the two-minute trailer treatment but not a whole movie who knows but i didn't dislike it at this stage anyway but i'm not expecting much but but it is preferable to heading into geeky nerd buddies though personally so check out the trailer in the show post and back to the show do you have box office figures for fantasy mission force i'd love to know how i should goes. try and look up uh, look that up uh, hong kong movie database didn't list any for the hong kong uh, market anyway but uh, it was released at least in, in uh, hong kong in february of uh, 1983 which might coincide with Lunar New Year so uh, they throughout a comedy at least uh, during the Lunar New Year which is uh, a, a pattern if that is the Hong Kong release date but uh, but yeah it, it's certainly thanks to western distribution it, Fantasy Mission Force has never been off the radar it's always sort of been uh, been present uh, and as for it, how it came about because it's quite weird that our uh, superstar Jackie Chan at this point in his career is even (laughs) in this movie but apparently it went a little something like this Uh, it said that the star of this movie Jimmy Wang Yu helped organize a negotiating session between the producer and filmmaker Jackie Chan was under contract with which would be Law Wei which uh, is the director of uh, the Bruce Lee movie Fist of Fury and several of Jackie's movies in the 70s as far as I understand it and it's possible I don't understand it is that Lowey was fine with lending Jackie to Seasonal Film Corporation to make Snake and Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master, which promptly made him a superstar and made Kung Fu Comedy the wild hot thing on the block. So he was probably happy getting him back to conclude his contract and do further Kung Fu Comedies now that he had a superstar. Jackie apparently, in in the wake of this, um, got some advice from his longtime manager, the late uh, Willie Chan, who was some hovering somewhere around the Law Way studio, he advised Jackie to make a decision whether to stay or move on to Greener Pastures because he he was a hot name now and uh, he could probably 
do better, <laughs> right? Uh, this advice led to a move to Golden Harvest, uh, which uh, happened apparently during the making of Fearless Hyena 2, which was later stitched together using doubles and deleted and recycled footage, but uh, that's another story. And when Jackie departed, uh, Lowe threatened Jackie with triads for breaking that contract uh, for departing, which is, again, the myth of a story that I've heard. I don't know if it's 100% true. And then we come back to the negotiating session again that apparently Jimmy Wang Yu reportedly helped resolve the dispute, possibly, through his connections, <laughs> right? And uh, I've heard tidbits uh, hinting <laughs> Quote, at... Mm-hmm, and I've heard the tidbits hinting at this uh, session being a bit of a triad-style negotiation-slash-hostage situation <laughs> that ultimately ended up favorably for Jackie <laughs> as he got to move on to Golden Harvest intact. Right, so uh, it was not like you go and make uh, you make uh, movies uh, with broken legs. I'm reminded of the story of Suge Knight hanging v- vanilla ice off of a balcony by his ankles during a contract negotiation. Yeah, <laughs> when in the vanilla ice uh, canon uh, storyline was that? <laughs> what was it? Was it uh, after he broke, or what was the deal there? No, I think it was after he broke, and I, I forget what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to get Def Jam wanted to, or no, Death Row, uh, Sugar Knight's label, wanted to get a license for one of his recordings or something like that. I got this and, I, uh, I got this baseline I came up with, guys. You can use that. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> it's not the same as the Queen song, because that just goes dum, 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 dum. Ours goes... Doom, 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 doom. We invented anticipation. In the clear. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry for that digression, but that, yeah, apparently, uh, the story is it may be apocryphal, as this one very well may be, but that Suge Knight, who's a very big fan, took vanilla ice and hung him off the balcony of a you know high rise apartment by his little white ankles. Ice, ice, baby, it is, motherfucker. <laughs> but, uh, so, so Jackie moved on and made a bigger name for himself I mean if the first movie after this um, this uh, negotiation was um, The Young Master I'm not too sure of it, it might be a few movies in but regardless he returned a favor because he, he was grateful for the fact that Wang Yu stepped in so uh, Jackie returned a favor to Wang Yu in, uh, in films probably in person too but Jackie appeared here in Fantasy Mission Force as well as in the as part of that Hong Kong and Taiwan ensemble cast uh, for right. Chu Yinping's Island of Fire. And Jackie's really good in that movie because you, you get to see him uh, be you know angry and vicious and have some gritty fight scenes and uh, yeah. there, there's some effort there. Uh, to to give you a brief brief review note already of mine in terms of fantasy mission force, there's no Jackie Chan effort here because it's uh, it's clearly a favor, right? So right, I I like to say that in appear by appearing in fantasy mission force, Jackie Chan exhibited the same magnan- magnanimity that he did uh, by sharing uh, top billing with Jennifer Love Hewitt. In whatever that the tuxedo, tuxedo I think yeah. that movie is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I have an easier time picking between uh, performances if you compare Fantasy Mission Force and the tuxedo. It's a uh, <laughs> Fantasy Mission Force all the way because at least you have surrounding yeah. elements, and that leads us neatly into some brief opinion. First of all, of Fantasy Mission Force. So you've hinted at it, but uh, what do you want to say in short about uh, like or dislike for Chu Yinping's uh, time warp of a movie? Well, I think the 
up top, the most important thing to say about fantasy fantasy mission force is that it is clearly a comedy, you know, because I think some people don't mention that in reviewing it. And then they go on to talk about how crazy it is, which it is. But, uh, you know, no one was obviously taking this movie very seriously. It reminds me of, you know, I I wrote a book about Bollywood. I wrote a book about Bollywood 70s movies. And a big thing in the 70s is in India was what they called masala movies, which were movies that they just threw in whatever crowd-pleasing elements they could think of. And I feel like Fantasy Mission Force is the same sort of aesthetic at work. I mean, I think it's, you know, my favorite example is a movie called Dharam Veer, which is basically an all-purpose period movies. There's like, there's gladiator battles, there's pirates, there's knights in shining armor having jousting duels, there are gypsies, uh, there are people in totally t- contemporary 1970s garb. You want gypsies, you want more clothing, it's, right, you exactly. want gladiators. I want gypsies, I got gypsies, I got pirates, you know, and it's an amazing movie. It's just dizzying. And uh, a lot of the same thing is at work in Fantasy Mission Force. I actually, you know, as I said, I've had, you know, I've had to kind of twist people's arms to get them to watch it. But usually for me, it was like a, you know, sort of a novelty piece. But watching it this time, I kind of dug it, you know, because I think the way it treats the expected narrative beats of any, you know, conventional movie its disregard for that is almost avant-garde you know so i think it's a cool movie it's it's not boring no no i mean i mean i mean here's the thing you you i don't know what the chinese title is but if you latch on to the to the english title since it's called fantasy mission force uh right at, at least from that perspective it almost gives chu yanping the freedom to punch the ticket and to say that i can do what i want and that leads to a man that also has ideas and he manages to craft a movie that's far from dull and that's the key it's a fun yeah. silly adventure that that isn't dull and too packed with ideas that die there on the table so to say so <laughs> it, it really it really you know it's undemanding in a way you don't need to know about the dirty dozen or need to know about tons of uh, movies because he in this one he doesn't it uh, do whole scenes from other movies as far as I can see anyway so there is a scene at the end that with the muscle cards reminds me a lot of Road Warrior which oh, I think it was not very old at the time this movie came out I think that came out in 82 but it's definitely the costumes they're wearing it's definitely Road yeah, and it has not Nazis too in between in between that. So it, the movie get, never gets dull because there's nothing restricting them in what to throw at you next. It doesn't have to make sense. And I think what keys you into that, you know, it's yes, it's called fantasy fantasy mission force. And then you know, one of the very first scenes where the military generals are saying. Well, you know, obviously we have to mount a rescue mission. Unfortunately, James Bond is <laughs> James Bond isn't available. Snake Plissken from Escape from New York isn't available, and they have a picture of Kurt Russell and Rocky. Is, and then they say, well, Rocky, obviously he's not a spy, so 
that would be that would be inappropriate. Man. The guy they also have in the slideshow, they they mentioned the bald detective. That's a call call Maka from the Aces Go Places uh, or, uh. Uh, or Mad Mission movie. So uh, they they throw in a really familiar local, both Taiwanese and Hong Kong right. style uh, reference there. But but I like I like the fact that they have Rocky in the in the uh, in the slideshow because they 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 could have had anything on there because on my version the subtitles it says well he's not fit for military action then you could you could could have placed a dog there or something or a cat or an actual rock because I don't I don't think we can send a rock because that simply wouldn't work of course it wouldn't work but it's funny to have Stallone there right exactly well and I think that goes to what you're saying it's a fantasy mission force and then the people they actually end up getting are also sort of these iconic type characters i mean bridget lynn is like this you know badass gunslinging leather clad femme fatale and uh you know they all have these very iconic elements too so the idea is that they're kind of fantastic figures too like james bond and snake plissken his prior movies those golden queens commando and pink force commando they, they were really warm-up movies or accompanying pieces i suppose because they they were also um Dirty Dozen type of adventures. Go, Golden Queen's Commandos were Commando was that a woman in prison flick, a spaghetti western, a James Bond actioner. Br- Bridget Lynn's character from that movie is in that slideshow that we mentioned. Uh, she's in there in the woolly, right. in the woolly hat and the eye, eye patch. patch. Yeah, yeah. Which is a gear that she wears phenomenally well. I mean, uh, put put anything goofy on her and she she'll she's an icon anyway. Oh, she's a high point movie definitely i think she has the best fight scenes by far i mean even um they, they didn't get them into this movie but you got salier as an explosive expert in golden queen's commando elsa jung jung is this assassin that uh, carries a bible with a gun in it but she's also made up to look like she's in some new wave pop band or something like that so it's a <laughs> it's a time warp of a movie i have got to see that one oh, she yeah. looks great uh, uh, and oh, they're, sure. they're, they're all fun i mean that that one has one of the main scenes is straight out of uh, the leone produced movie my name is nobody they recreate the movie where henry fonda takes out the the, um, the wild bunch uh, shooting uh, uh, the, the sort of uh, amulets on the on the saddles of the horses and they and yeah. they and the stuntmen fall down in slow motion they redo that scene set to the ecstasy of gold portion of the good the bad and the ugly soundtrack they, they they recreate that very well that's the thing because they also need to mount a stunt showcase and they do that in golden queen's commando uh despite copying a scene beat by beat i'm usually the guy that spots the things on the soundtrack but i actually read this on someone else's blog that they use snippets from Ennio morricone's soundtrack to when women had tales which is a terrible italian sexploitation movie about cavemen <laughs> so but that was in there that they got their morricone in there and another musical note i want to say is that in jackie chan's big scene when he's, you know, riding in the tank or something, or he's in the back of a truck with a machine gun. The music playing is a very funereal orchestral version of Camp Town Races, a.k.a. Doodah. It's oh, like, duh, 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 duh. I guess because he's supposed to be an American or something. 
So it's like, represent for America, yeah. He's referenced in the subtitles on the Blu-ray as they introduce him in the, in the fight scene, and, and it's Jackie's first scene as being... <laughs> It it seems oddly current because they they introduce him as well. Well, well, first it's the Japan Killer versus King of Orange from New York, <laughs> and that makes you think of only one thing in 2018. Like I thought, someone else was the king King of Orange from king New York. Of Orange, really? Yeah, yeah. The version I, the subtitles definitely said the Chinatown Kid or whatever it was. It's got Bridget Lynn and it's got all those iconic uh, persons. And, and then you got uh, energetic introductions, grating introductions. And then you get <laughs> Wang Yu driving a Jeep and manning his own machine gun that, that's uh, m- mounted permanently on those uh, at uh, on the Jeep. And you can't <laughs> sort of dislike that, despite it being a very basically staged, you know, shoot and then tons of people fall down at the same time type of little gunplay yeah, sequence. Yeah, because in that scene, Wang you obviously doesn't give a shit if, he's, if he looks, if it looks credible how he's fine. He's just like sort of randomly, you know, just waving the machine gun around. But, but how how on earth, the, the, I mean, it's, it's hard to answer this, but how on earth can a filmmaker transform something that sounds in, incompetent when we talk of it? to a, a moment that you remember is a very hard answer to sort of provide but i i don't know it it's the overall energy in the movie that makes a moment moment like that perfectly goofy rather than you know face palm inducingly incompetent you know what i mean like it's one of those like i'll, I'll buy it it's part of this movie like it because it's a comedy you know i think you know it's a goofy comedy where no with no rules so it's like it's it's an anything goes comedy, and some of the stuff isn't funny. Definitely, there's some really dumb slapstick stuff. Well, you got the Scottish guard, obviously, but the who about who? Yeah, in, indeed. And uh, I have a story later about the extended version of the film where he's in it for about ten more minutes. <laughs> oh dear. Um, well, I did want to say that they in the English dub. Uh, they give Jackie Chan the sort of simpering, whiny voice that Hui Bat Lu usually has. And, uh, and Hui Bat Lu also has that voice. So that particular voice actor got a real workout, you know, going, yeah, you know. So. You can do it like concurrently. Like, uh, you can do the same voice in the same take and then they'll just... Maybe that's really what his voice sounds like, poor devil might have stumbled on something here yeah (laughs) but speaking of jackie i mean what i find uh, part delightful it's not his performance and his contributions but the fact that he's um this is so basic and almost primal but i'm gonna say it anyway i find it delightful that he's paired off with pearl chung one it's a delighting concept alone then you cut to the fact that Jackie feels entirely out of place. So clearly, and no one was focusing on, okay, let, let's provide some quality here, not just appear. And that's fine. But having him being a third banana in the movie is uh, its so amusing. But the fact that he's paired up with the wolf devil woman herself, who, oh di- who, who didn't travel back and forth between Hong Kong and Taiwan. So this feels like this two different worlds almost meeting and it helps the the fact help uh, that helps all of this it's not that pearl 
puts in a massive action performance is that Pearl just looks gorgeous throughout the movie. She does. She looks better in that movie than in any other movie I've seen. And she does. She gives a great performance, you know, because she's his manager. So she's this really, you know, tough ass broad. The legend is that she and Jackie were friends. I mean, because there's a rumor that he helped direct her film. Have you heard that? Have not, but I, 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 I don't want to know more because I'd rather focus on the fact that she was one of the f- few female action stars that also directed her own films for a little while. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. They're not Jackie Chan in style. That's the thing. I mean, you can't argue for a minute that Wolf Devil Woman is pure Jackie Chan or anything. So. You know, whenever back, especially back in those days, whenever you find a film directed by a woman, there's a bunch of guys go, well, that was actually directed by her husband, you know, or something, you know, it's just typical. You know, you know, a lot of Jackie's movies have huge sections that were ghost directed by some, by by other people because there was so much to do anyway. So he was never his 100% pure filmmaker himself either. I like the idea of them being friends. I really do, and they sort of look great together, and that makes me happier rather than the fact, because you then focus on the fact that there's no choreography of note here, because I don't think Jackie wanted to walk into this movie, put his all in, and possibly be injured, because he has his own career to tend to, this is a (laughs) favour, so therefore that big fight scene with the Japan killer is essentially some judo moves and what have you, and nothing really is widely choreographed other than his sword play fight with Wang Yu towards the end uh, and and he does one stunt I believe when he jumps out of the car that Wang Yu is about to crush with the uh, whatever machinery he was uh, driving so a lot of that battle is them it's 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 between cars Jimmy Wang Yu and the earth mover and and Jackie in a car but that that's a good explanation for why he doesn't fight that much and why it's so much gunplay, because, yeah, I could see, yeah, he wanted to save himself, you know. That's why there's no outtake reel at the end of him, you know, breaking his leg or whatever. I don't know if any other version has that uh, internationally, if they slapped any outtakes on it, or if they even kept the cameras rolling for any of that stuff, because, um, you know, it wasn't his movie. But uh, I, I also noticed that... Uh, and I can imagine some of the hate towards this being the worst Jackie Chan movie ever, which it isn't. I mean, uh, find the find the movie Young Tiger, aka Police Woman, the the movie where he has that massive mole on his face, and it's such a bad <laughs> early seventies bash. It sucks balls, man. <laughs> I rewatched it recently because it's on Netflix in widescreen, believe it or not. But I I think sometimes the hate is directed towards the fact that this is almost. A different sort of spin on comedy, meaning that it's more Taiwanese style, more wild than what you usually saw in Hong Kong comedy, especially Jackie's Hong Kong comedy. And I think a lot of people think it really doesn't fit him, and it doesn't because uh, because he 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 just appears and does some shtick, and he's done his favor. But but I think a lot of people think that this is just wild and odd and not funny. And 
But Jackie Chan is, I mean, he's a great martial artist, but he is a gifted comedian, too. I mean, he can be really, really funny. So, I don't, you know, who knows why people hate things on the Internet, just probably because their brains are irradiated. But uh, I don't, this is a hard film for me to hate, I have to. Oh, of course. I mean, and and also because Chu Jinping builds so much color in the character gallery. he, he He makes enough effort for us to remember what they are visually and what they what they do personally right so you you got the bum that's also the con man of thief you uh got the escape artist and so forth and you got bridget lynn as the um as you know she's apt with a gun and all of that and looks great in her fire high red boots and all of that yeah. and she's got a rocket <laughs> launcher that's yellow so so Ping he makes his comedy but it also makes us remember the characters visually he's not after depth but we remember them as a team a visual team and i think that is something that goes underrated sometimes that uh, it was a strength for me this time watching this movie in this type of quality as we'll get to Uh, i really appreciated that uh, while i may not laugh out loud that really that much of the comedy but i remember these characters visually i remember who who they were and their relationship to each other and that is hard to be be mad at to be depressed about when you remember the characters you know yeah there was one gag that i really laughed at and it was at the beginning of the scene where jackie was fighting the what the the killer from japan or whatever and there's the scene with the cigars where you know, Jackie sees the the killer's cigar and it puts a, a bigger cigar in his mouth, and the and the killer's like, huh? and then he <laughs> puts a pipe in his mouth, and then I don't know what that thing is like a huge peace pipe or something or a bong or something, but they were competing. Toke, toke it up, man. Yeah, <laughs> I laughed at that. Yeah, it's it's classic stuff, man. But uh, we we talked about it in the Dragon Ball review that things need to be delivered with a pace and and a beat to it. And even a gag like that needs to have a a beat to it, where you know, and and even if you uh, enhance it with like <laughs> sound effect, it, as they it, so often do, it can be fun too. So, um, yeah. is it too filled with content? You think, uh, considering the likes of Adam Cheng and the um, and the tribes women, like like that comes and goes. Even though they are great sequences, but do you think there's too much here? Too many ideas? I mean, it depends how I can be very undemanding if I think a film is sincerely trying to entertain me, and then I'll be like, okay, what do you got? I'm ready. You know, but there are things that they introduce that are just kind of dropped. Like, yeah, the whole thing of Adam Chang. And also, we don't know how complete the cut we watched is, because obviously there was 10 more minutes of comedy relief. But yeah, the whole thing with Adam Chang and the Amazons was just dropped. You know, and the ghost thing. I mean, those two things just felt like the, the, the haunted house and the Amazon, but just seemed like vignettes. Oh, yes. You know, like just... These narrative digre- digressions are just dropped. And because now it doesn't feel like story. the world. Uh, because uh, yes, he sets up that this takes place in 1941 or 1944. But you you should ignore <laughs> that like a millisecond after you find oh, out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because as you alluded to in the plot like i don't i don't know where we are where, yeah do you where have any we... theories on where this is supposed to take place i mean i thought it might have been china during the japanese occupation 
you know but why are there like generals from france england africa and the united states i don't know it really doesn't frustrate that's the thing i mean even uh, with the adam chang sequence where these uh we were introduced to these uh, hooded jungle clad attackers they're tra- they're doing a, an acrobatic attack with colorful cloth and it has really great action energy so it involves wires and that's all good and then the, the apparent leader jumps on water in that amazing long shot of her going like up and down on the surface of the water and then adam cheng is the leader and i can't remember if adam cheng simply left or died because that's how fast this movie goes about its business and all of a sudden it's her haunted house movie too for some i, I think you described it very well that they bring it what have you got I like that. Okay, move on to the next thing. I also like that. I think this movie will be a problem to people who feel like they need to make sense of what's going on because you just won't be able to. But you know, the difference is pure incoherency versus I understand sort of where you're coming from and why you're putting this all in because it's a bad example. But think of all of all those Gulong novel adaptations. Those are incoherent and that can be frustrating. This isn't incoherent. The structure is clear as day, but it has yes. wild ideas in between that simply doesn't fit a normal conventional movie. But that's the non-frustrating part, amazingly enough, because Chu Yanping can crank it as he makes it and crank it as he puts it Which together. Which he does often. I'll tell you something. Um, one of the good things about about these movies and watching, I have to pay any attention to them. I've watched this film many times, but I haven't ever really bothered to try and make sense of it. And so I watched, you know, in watching it, and I had to summarize it. So I had to come up with a through line and it, it was more coherent than I remembered it being because I was paying attention and seeing the connections between the actions and before I just kind of let it wash over me and sort of create just a uh, an avalanche of craziness which works that too but there is you know there's sort of a plot but if he's trying uh, figure out a timeline for it. it it's going to frustrate you. You're going to be end up angry and alone with your anger. Well, <laughs> well, I was I was alone and delighted and slightly stoned as I watched it, which was uh, which was uh, <laughs> that a, a that matters, especially when yeah. I don't know if I realized it before the haunted house sequence, but I certainly realized it during it that oh yeah, he isn't sort of attempting anything logical here because (laughs) it's it's Uh, now a character is now playing a mahjong with hopping vampires and it's sort of funny (laughs) because they they can put people in those costumes and lit their faces from underneath in green and we are doing haunted house stick but (laughs) but you gotta be talented to put it together and make it energetic if not even if it isn't laugh out loud funny and believe me it isn't but make it energetic i don't i would love to sort of watch how a movie like this gets put together from filming to post and see how energy is created and you gotta sometimes admire that someone has a vision for this because this isn't incompetent sort of random coked out of their mind vision or anything this is not a poorly directed movie at all it's very well directed i think you know it's just crazily plotted 
you know, the cliche, it's like blah, blah, blah on acid. And it's not, it's not really, but I think you, the viewer, should be on acid when you watch it. Or some other, you know, mind-altering substance. I don't know what year it's set in. I'm going crazy in my head. It's only the movie. Yeah. Uh, and but 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 technically they can execute this because they they got a good pyrotechnics crew to sort of make the frame yes. come alive, and they 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 got some fairly major gunplay set pieces that are good and bad. The bad is that when they when they show shots where people are shot all at the same time it's all that time to fall down at the same time notion that that sort of looks corny but there are some close quarter gunplay that's uh, when the movie takes its dark turns and they they, they go really gory on us and we, which is the staple staple i mean i guess the dirty dozen and you know the magnificent seven obviously has those elements and seven samurai where people will die and uh, pe- people do actually perish here obviously so I mean, though, you say there's 10 more minutes of the uh, Hui Bat Lu character. Am I saying that name any anywhere yeah, I think near so. right? Okay. You know who I'm talking about. Sure. I felt like the way he died uh, was a little mean spirited. Oh, it's brutal, man. It was horrible. He got it off the backside, for heaven's sake. They were, they were part of the same Scottish guard. One was an authority figure, but it seemed like they were close, and they were goofy. They were the goofy, uh, goofy, goofy gang of the uh, of the piece, if you will. So yeah, but to have him get a he was a pretty harmless character. So to have him get a bayonet up the ass at the end, I felt was pretty cruel. Pretty, pretty, pretty mean spirit. And and that also brings out the point that these movies do contain that um, switch as well which is not a foreign notion for local filmmakers to uh, to switch tax on us attack uh, uh, on us even though yes it, it's it's rubble it, it's 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 not that they simply fall over and die it's sort of gory and brutal too yes and um but i don't i i i think it's all it's all it's all good fun and uh and technically um, uh while not classic gunplay it's obviously supposed to be a big epic sequence but and uh, so he sort of um executes competently but better in close quarter as it uh, when it comes to the gunplay which is uh kind of cool to see that uh because th- then you get the sort of hint and tint of the filmmaker to come that could depict brutality on screen but uh, but not in this uh free-for-all way you know uh he, he would go on to he would go on to focus his efforts a little bit more so it's uh, his warm-up exercise for his war dramas later on in the night is it's this movie <laughs> well you know yeah yeah surprisingly i have to come down in favor of fantasy mission force i i guess there's a reason i've watched it so many times if you don't have any notes i want to tell you a little story please do did you know there was another uh, well here's the thing i talked of the extended edit that's another story a a much shorter one here's a different story i was reminded of it today thankfully did you know todd there was another edit of fantasy mission force well it was a re-edit rather it was a cut and paste edit also seemingly made in taiwan i didn't have a chance to rewatch it but it's uh, known as fire dragon and you can get it cheap on public domain dvd so uh, i wanted to read you an extract from uh, uh, john charles's review over at hong kong digital because i i wouldn't be able to so summarize it as well so 
this fire dragon because there was another Bridget Lin sword play movie or wuxia in the 90s made uh, made as fire dragon it turns out to be an atrociously re-edited version of Chu Yinping's fantasy mission force a certifiably bonkers Taiwanese production that Jackie Chan appeared in as a favor for its true star Jimmy Wang Yu this reworking retains the Chinese Nazi angle of the original but drops in a new storyline that is almost almost as nonsensical in the wake of an assassination committed by the Nazis, Agent John and his female partner, these are new actors, played by Louis Chan, set out to locate and liquidate the Nazi leader. And one of them is played by Chan Hung Lee, who is the Nazi leader in Fantasy Mission Force, along with another character that's all, uh, the slightly more obese character. They're in Fantasy Mission Force and recast as Nazi leaders in this re-edit. Uh, so they go after them. Jimmy Wang Yu is nowhere to be fi- found. Adam Chang and Pearl Chang Ling, they are all gone. But the commandos that Wang Yu enlisted, they are retained in this edit. With Bridget Lin's character Lily now being the primary leader. So the new character John is able to get Lily's support via a meeting with her backlit double. The, he is supplied with blueprints of the leader's fortress. We then get the original action climax, followed by an all-new one featuring the performers from the reshoots. One always experiences, this is still John's writing, a certain perverse fascination when viewing these things. But the incredibly ramshackle assembly of this particular one makes <laughs> Godfrey Ho's composite seem graceful and seamless. Oh my goodness. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he goes on further. As with those IFT patchwork quilts, a certain half-hearted attempt is made to mix the old and the new together, most notably via an early sequence featuring a Jackie Chan stand-in. His face is not shown, but to get the point across, the gymnasium where he is working out just happens to be plastered with Jackie Chan posters. (laughs) This imposter also pops up in new fight footage that is very awkwardly intercut with older reaction shots of Chan from Fantasy Mission Force. The results are so transparently bogus, even children will not be fooled. And uh, to round off his views, John's the English dubbing, apparently improvised in the sound booth, is predictably horrid, and the score has been largely pilfered from Escape from New York, Phantasm, Psycho, and 1980s maniac. Chu Yinping gets a planning director nod while the little known uh, Wang Chong Guang is the credited director of this charade. There is some very minor fun to be had, mostly thanks to the original Fantasy Mission 4 sequences, and the DVD is dirt cheap, but even Fearless Hyena 2 is worthy of more respect than this jumbled monstrosity. If you want to go hardcore on Fantasy Mission 4's Todd, Fire Dragon. I, <laughs> I have the DVD though, so you don't need to look for it. I bought it. Okay. All right. Okay. Good on you. Um, but was Jimmy Wang Yu really the true star of this movie? He doesn't seem to be in it very much. I, I think it's Bridget Lin really who should be the star. I would of this. say that Bridget, the, yeah, Bridget Lin is really what makes this movie worth watching. So, uh, because because he exits the movie uh, mid movie, Jimmy Wang Yu, and then comes back, so he's not in it uh, constantly. So, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna rewatch Fire Dragon. I remember it being very, very short, like 75 minutes or oh, something. That's good. So they they didn't uh, make another 90 minute movie, but rather chopped out certain things, reshot, and uh, then compi- compiled it into 
a short one in Taiwan because uh, it has Taiwanese cast and crew. Yeah, I, I saw it once. Uh, I'm gonna rewatch it again. I remember it being very incoherent, but uh, using John's uh, summary, I think I'll, um, I'll I'll have that as support. Uh, so that that's the way I conclude uh, my notes on Fantasy Mission Four. So anything else you want to say, Todd? I like it. It surprises me, but yeah, I I, I don't know if I'd recommend it because I think it, it'll frustrate. I mean, it has frustrated a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people hate this movie. So it'd be hard to convince those people to take the kind of time with it that we have, but that's what we do because we're weird, you know. But I think if you're willing to, I don't know. I like to laugh and I like to be entertained. So if you're willing to kind of let go of your, you know, your your plastic fantastic ideas about coherency and a film should go from point A to point B and. You know, you really have to let go of those things. But I think movies that force you to do that are very valuable. And this is one of those, you know, because it sort of it's like sort of a palate cleanser. You know, it takes you back to, to, to square one. Even though distributors have not uh, played down this fact, but uh, you, you really sort of need to put yourself in a mind set that it isn't a Jackie Chan movie, and I think that's the first, if you sort of let go of that and think of it as a Taiwanese comedy, then you might be more surprised rather than focusing on the fact that he's not in it that much, and he kind of sucks. Uh, at the same time, it's fun to see all these big stars. I mean, you know, someone might watch it because Jimmy Wang Yu is in it, but you get to see Jimmy Wang Yu and and uh, and Jackie Chan have a big fight at the end, and you get to see. You know all these different stars interacting and fighting with each other. I I always think that's fun. Very much so. They get to be iconic enough, rather than part of the uh, wacky scenery. They they really stand out. The ones that you do want yes. to stand out. And uh, yeah, Jackie was never meant to stand out. Yeah, he's sort of a com- he's also sort of a comedy relief character in this. Sort of bumbling. Very much so. He's called uh, he's called Cow in the subtitles uh, for the Blu-ray edition, <laughs> rather than Sammy, which is the name on on other versions. So there you are. Yeah, yeah. King of Orange from New York. <laughs> <laughs> so as for availability, the German Blu-ray, where, whose uh, its title is simply Mission Force, if you look it up on uh, German Amazon, that's readily available. It features both Mandarin and English audio options, uh, as well as uh, another Mandarin track with different music. So um, they. they took that from somewhere and it also has english subtitles so it is um, actually uh, fully english friendly it features a beautifully sharp and grainy hd transfer as well as uh, extras such as the extended comedic scenes from the japanese version which mainly involved uh, hoi bat liu and uh, his um, cohort there played by fong ching in antics that dust all the movie it includes more nonsense as we are introduced to them in that undercranked sequence as the soldiers line up, uh, the silent comedy sequence. There's more nonsense as uh, they're all caught by the female tribe uh, and put in these contraptions, these um, these wooden contraptions that are have uh, female bodies painted on the outside of them. Uh, the <laughs> the Amazon uh, tribes women start. I throwing. like the way they. I like that just happening. Where all of a sudden they're in those things. But we never <laughs> like, see anything happening to them. I mean, these, these sequences, uh, all of these characters, including Hoi Bat Liu, they, they, they have like paint bombs thrown at them, like paint balloons or whatever. <laughs> and uh, 
also the two of them are chasing a woman around a cage one of them is trapped in the cage and what the other mm-hmm. is chasing the woman going around 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 and they do, they do that for about three or four minutes it's from the japanese vhs version but i don't know if it played theatrically with these scenes in it but they clearly stole the movie god almighty so they're thrown in as extras in mandarin and japanese subtitles but you you merely need to sort of watch them to realize that boy i'm glad they weren't in the movie but i'm glad to have them do you think this film had any kind of theatrical release here like maybe a grindhouse sort of uh release has i mean there's there's a dubbed print so that makes me think but that might have just been done for television or for Well, well i hope so i mean um the, the the dub, I think, uh, would have been produced in Hong Kong and Taiwan and then sold to whoever wanted it. I mean, it's been on video endlessly, but obviously the uh, lesser quality versions, uh, you know, uh, full screen and all of that. But I hope so. I mean, uh, probably not extensively so, because if regular Jackie Chan movies were not extensively like shown across many, many theaters, what chance would this have? Uh, yeah. But, but I hope so, on the strength of Jackie, maybe, and um, some persons might have had some fun and then it got uh, buried on video and we didn't see a proper widescreen version for many many years and now it's fully remastered and it uh, kind of uh, it, it's nice it's not it's nice to see that it's uh, someone cared enough to uh, because i think it originated on Jap- japanese blu-ray first and then that version got distributed um, to germany in this case so so it's all good and and cheap too so it's not uh, overly expensive uh, i can't reach the case now but it possibly is uh, region a b c for those uh, who are looking for it i don't think they locked it to region b so you might be able to get it and play it in an american blu-ray player for instance i do recommend it they didn't feature the fire dragon uh, movie as bonus i asked a person i know who was working on the blu-ray and they said that well we wanted a german dub on that but that because one existed for the weird edit of the movie but it was too expensive to um to add that and we didn't really see the full value of including fire dragon if it had made sense financially yes but we didn't in the end so that's it i think uh, it was a nice revisit and i'm happy uh, happy to I share so the enthusiasm for it and uh, if um, I'm, go- I'm gonna share the other um, cra- crazy crazy uh, chewing ping movies with your golden queen's commando and pink force commando i mean yeah i need to see those desperately i, I mean my friend described pink force commando which they share cost but not plot uh, and they're, they're not sequel to each other so a friend of mine quoted that movie as um, uh, he wrote and i incorporated that in my review Imagine a parallel world where everything is possible. A Wild West town with 80s-style graffiti, attacked by the Ku Klux Klan and Chinese guys in Nazi uniforms while a band of girls fight for trust amongst each other once more. Welcome to Choose World of idiotic fun done with care to absurd detail. Yeah. I do, I, that reminded me of something. The cost, Some of the costumes in Fantasy Mission Force, especially the military uniforms, have a real glam rock feel to them. Like in that first scene, you know, the top brass of the military of country X or whatever it is. It's it definitely, it's kind of what their uniforms are kind of Napoleonic, but they're super glittery and there's all this gold. Like it looks like something Gary Glitter might've worn or something like that. You know, and that's fantastic. I love, you know, it's even the, the art direction is crazy. The costumes are crazy. You know, the film is 
just alive with craziness. It has detail you might not appreciate indeed, and now we can see it in even uh, bright, brighter forms. So, uh, yeah, it's like it's happening in your living room. <laughs> you might not have wanted it be. that way, but now it is <laughs> that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy, uh, let's put this one to bed. It was a nice uh, revisit. So uh, let's conclude this one now because uh, you've heard us yap enough about this and uh, we might have an itch to actually revisit Fantasy Mission Force right now because it's been so fun <laughs> talking of it but regardless this has been Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire Network and for all your Podcast on Fire Network needs go to our website podcastonfire.com where you'll find all relevant links connected to the show social media links uh, iTunes links in order to subscribe to our feed and uh, do drop us a line either on email or on social media or even review us on iTunes. We would very much appreciate that. And uh, I write about these kind of movies on my site, among other things, sogoodreviews.com. So check that out as well. Links are available, as I said. And I'm plugged out and I'm going to leave you all with uh, Todd to provide his uh, relevant plugs for the mo. So uh, the floor is your buddy. All right. Well, the uh, URL is die danger die die kill. That's all one word. dot blogspot. dot com. That's my blog where I write about all kinds of obscure uh, international genre cinema, most of it from the sixties, seventies, or eighties. And if you go there on the uh, sidebar on the right. There's links to like everything, my books website, uh, my uh, my podcast, my radio show, Pop Offensive, all the various and sundry things that I'm too busy with these days. So, yeah, check her out. No, that's it. That's all I have. I'm trying to dig, dig too deep. But, yeah, buy my book. Please don't be waiting for me and look out for the sequel. So good. It's bad. It'll be coming out, I'll say, in like three weeks or so. Sorry, I can't be more definite. Well, uh, I hope all works out in terms of release. And, uh, but uh, for the moment, uh, as always, we're going to hit the think tank and uh, in our own time, calmly and relaxed, uh, come up with a new episode of Taiwan War. But in the meantime, I hope you rev- uh, enjoyed these ones and uh, these movies and hope you seek them out. And uh, you thought you got to seek out that South Korean Dragon Ball movie because it would so fit your blog. I don't have it, but uh, so you're on your own, but you, you, have, you have your ways. I bet Tars Tarkas has it. He is <laughs> good for, he's good for those kind of movies. Excellent. Well, I've been Kenny B and with me was the multimedia man, Todd Staffman. So take us out, buddy. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time. Let's keep it crazy. Sing the cheery uh, theme song from Fantasy Mission Force. Something like that. I don't know.